0: So with 3 John, we are going to look here that this whole theme of purpose and uh, this purpose in walking in truth and love while defending, being devoted, and absorbing the truth. And so now 3 John comes along with a similar theme of defending the truth. And so how do we study this to find specifically what John is writing so that we can find personal application for us today? And so we understand that John was so passionate about defending the truth. John knew the truth in a very personal way as he was a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. John would write much about it in his gospel, and then he would warn the churches in his first letter, 1 John, he would warn the churches of defending, walking, absorbing, living in the truth, and then as we saw last week when we studied 2 John, he did it with a godly Christian woman, her family, the local church, and then today he writes a very specific letter to a man by the name of Gaius. And John, as he writes this thank you card of Third John, it's to an individual. He was, genuinely, he was a genuinely hospitable guy. He was the guy that if you came into his town, you wanted to stay at his place. Because Gaius would receive fellow believers, whether they were messengers on a missionary journey or whether they were just teachers of the truth, he would receive them into his home. And really, even his reputation became known among strangers of being a really top-notch man, a top-notch guy. And so he would receive them into his home. He would feed them. He would give them uh, some items to go on their journey, maybe even do some special things to be a huge blessing to these messengers. And so John is going to use this thank you card, not only to, as we all do with thank you cards, lift up somebody, let another man praise thee, not thine own lips. And so he is going to use this time to praise Gaius for who he is, But he's also not giving Gaius just the inside scoop, but now future readers, you and me, on what it looks like to be a helper of the truth and not a hindrance. Now, we've spent three weeks now, and we'll continue going into next week, finishing 2nd and 3rd John. And as we've studied this whole defending, absorbing, and living, walking in the truth, what does that all mean about me? I I can read about them in the first century, the dangers they faced and how they were supposed to respond and what they did, but how can I be a helper of the truth today and not a hindrance? And so that's what we'll look at today. Look at verse number one of 3 John. He says, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth." Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers which have borne witness of thy charity, thy love before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that thou for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore are ought to receive such, here it is, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth." So today, let's dissect these first eight verses and see how we can be a helper of the truth. Not a hindrance, but a helper of the truth. Father, we want so desperately to hear from you today. Uh, In our own minds, we have a lot that we're weeding through. So the distractions are many, but we want to be fine-tuned into the Word of God today. And so as we pull up a chair to the table to feast on your Word we ask that you will allow the Holy Spirit to deliver. Don't allow me or anything else to stand in the way of us as the hearers hearing the message from above. If there's somebody here today that doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, may today be that day, that moment and that opportunity where their eyes are open to their need of a Savior. They realize they cannot do this life on their own. And when they think of this life, of life after here on earth, what does that eternity look like for them? So allow their mind to begin to think, allow their heart to be convicted. And may they make a decision today to have a day of salvation, a day of change in their life. But as believers, we gather today purposely to worship you. And we've done that. We've lifted our voices. We have sang about amazing grace and how wonderful your promises are, how blessed the name of Jesus Christ, your son, is. And so we have magnified you. We have worshiped by giving of our resources, which you have entrusted us with in an offering. And now we continue our spirit of worship by opening our hearts and ears to the teaching of the word of God. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name, amen. When you think of this helper of the truth, some of you in here are pretty good at being a helper by, by nature. It's your passion, it's, uh, it's what you do. Uh, some of you are so ingrained with being a helper. Your company sees it, uh, your family maybe experiences it, the fact that you're a good helper, uh, the church family benefits from it. God is certainly pleased by it, and so this very fact that you are a helper is something that is going to is certainly going to initially help you to carry forward with the truth. You know, our kids learn at a young age to be good helpers. Uh, the girls learn as our two are learning to be mommy's little helper. I heard last week that they helped fold some of the laundry. They're making their bed, kinda sorta, and they're being a help there. Daddy's little helper usually carries the tool bag to the next project and holds the level in place while the shelf is installed. And then they become teenagers, right? They become teenagers. And then teenagers think that helping means that they get out of bed, you know, and they cause dirty dishes and dirty laundry, and they use up all the gas in the family car, and um, they do a lot of things to be a great help to the family. They, some, of them, some of you are having teenagers eating you out of house and home, and you're wondering, how are they going to continue to be such a help and a blessing to us? And uh, now, parents, you're thinking about that blessing and that help, but let's, you know, teenagers, we want to give you an opportunity to be a vote here. So teenagers in here, how many of you would say, apart from everything that the pastor just listed, I truly am a good helper? Teenagers, raise your hand nice and high. All right, parents, look at those hands. Now keep them accountable. They think that they're a good helper. And so today's the day to put it to test. Mom and dad will thank me later. So in our text this morning, we're speaking of being not a helper around the home, but a helper of the truth. And did you notice in these first eight verses, the word that came out five times in these verses is the word truth. And in this first section of verses, John rejoiced in the very fact that the believers had been walking in truth. You saw that in verse number four. And so John naturally encourages Gaius to continue to be a fellow helper to the truth. And the life of Gaius seems to remain unknown to us, according to scripture, except for this one thank you card written to him that really highlights his character. It really tells us a lot about who he is as a man. And that's what we're going to dig into and highlight today. And so These qualities of Gaius can be great lessons for us to learn how can we be a helper of the truth. Look at verse number two here. To be a helper of the truth requires spiritual healthiness. He says, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Now, when we think of good health, we think of, you know, being, eating right and physical exercise and doing those things which we need to do to take care of our body, and so that we can say that when we go to the doctor, we have a clean bill of health. We are healthy physically. But he says not only to him as a good pastor would maybe have concern, as John would, he loves Gaius so dearly. That's clearly written in the thank you card. And he says to his beloved friend, he says, my desire for you is that you would avoid all physical illness and disease and turmoil and that you would find yourself to be stressless and moving forward and not have the difficulty of the physical stresses. He says in continuing, even as thy soul prospereth. And so we see an emphasis here that he is going to give that not only to the body, but also importantly to the soul. And as responsible Christians, we should neither neglect or nor indulge ourselves physically. Uh, we are to take care of ourselves in the physical means and we're discipline our bodies so that we can be the best possible for God's glory and for God's service and for his work. And Gaius here was a man who had great spiritual health and it was noticed by all people. As he was moving it forward, he was causing it to make the truth make a difference. It wasn't just him and himself, it was what he stood for, it's what he lived for, it's what he was known by. And we cannot be a helper of the truth ourselves, trying to move it forward and causing it to make a difference until we too are spiritually healthy. And we know what physical health looks like. We know what the definition is there. I sit in my doctor's office waiting for the doctor to come in, and the big screen shows the things I should be eating. They've got a really nice commercial board that pops up, and uh, and so I watch it and think, oh, I'm really not eating enough of that, and then think, is that really food? I I don't know. I guess it is. It's green, so I guess I can eat it. And so we know what that's like. When we go to the dentist, the dentist gives us the steps that we need to take to have good health with our mouth, and we know that all of that affects kind of how we feel in our stomach and things of that nature. And by the way, we all hate the dentist and everybody who works for a dentist, right, Becky Redman? Um, but, but they're important, and it's really, we know what it's like, but, but we put so much time and emphasis and concentration on the physical healthiness part. That we really sometimes neglect our spiritual health in the same level of concentration that it takes to excel spiritually. With the spiritual health can be seen in one who is consistently sounded in faith. Titus one 3, 13. It talks about being sound in the faith. And you say, well, how does that come? Easy. Discipleship. It comes through studying Growing, applying, learning, digesting, meditating, and being changed. But then spiritual health also comes by growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 2 Peter chapter 3. And you say, well, how does, how does growing in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ come? Discipleship. It comes by learning and applying and meditating, chewing, and growing, taking those steps. And then also spiritual health can be seen as one who is consistently walking worthy of the Lord unto all that is pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, Colossians 1.10. And you say, well, how in the world is walking worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God? How does that come? Do you know the answer? Yes, my wife is right on cue. The rest of you are lagging behind. It comes by discipleship. You say, what's he getting at? Discipleship is really important in our spiritual health. You say, well, I got saved 25 years ago. Somebody took me through a six lesson course and I finished it, got a certificate and I have been discipled. Yes, you went through a class, you went through a course, you gained some knowledge and you took some key crucial steps, but are you really being discipled? Discipleship is not a class to complete. Discipleship is a journey to walk along. Discipleship becomes where you and I are going to go. It becomes our, our evidence of... of, of dis, discipleship becomes the evidence of growth in our life. It, it's what fuels us to take the next step. So it's very important if we're going to be spiritual, spiritually healthy... We have to be involved in some type of discipleship. had a conversation this past week and thoroughly appreciated the individual who said, I want to be poured into and I want to pour into somebody else. I mean, isn't that what the Christian life really is all about? Being poured into so that I can pour into somebody else. If you're lacking that, missing that, really want to do some type of check that says, am I growing spiritually? Now, There's a lot that we can do in our personal lives. Thankful for the individual priesthood of the believers. We stand before God on our own, and we can study the Bible on our own, and we can learn on our own, and those are important things. But what about being stretched? What about me pouring into somebody else? And what about me opening myself to have somebody have the opportunity to pour into me? So whatever your age and whatever your bracket Would you be willing to consider, what does that discipleship mean? As a staff, we've been talking much about it for the last couple of weeks. We're looking at putting something together that is going to be more practical, purposeful, and really something that all of us can grab a hold of and participate in for discipleship. So with our physical health, it's important to be consistent. It's important for us to exercise. And in our spiritual life, we must do the same. Notice in these first two verses of John 3, there's a word that helps us to see where this strong spiritual health comes from. He says, the elder unto the well-beloved, whom I love in the truth. Verse number two, he says, again, beloved, beloved. Three of the very first 13 words, there's an emphasis for sure here with love. Now, it wasn't that Gaius was so loved that that made him spiritually healthy. For sometimes we think that if we just love somebody enough, it will love them out of their sin, or it will love them to excel into spiritual healthiness. That's not the case. But rather, he was a man of love, loving God, loving people, and he surrounded himself with loving people. That's what Gaius did. Gaius had John pouring into him who loved him dearly. Gaius was pouring into other people whom he loved dearly. All of it fueled by loving God. And so in his book, The Life God Blesses by Gordon MacDonald, he lays out these five questions to ask to diagnose spiritual health. Do you want to diagnose your spiritual health today? Here's question number one. Whom are you trying to please? Whom are you trying to please? This morning, you've already had 11 or hours in your day since midnight. Now, some of you get up at 4, 5, 6 o'clock. Some of you get up multiple times in the middle of the night. I don't know. The mommies do. Joyce, you're up a couple of nights with the baby. And when you're up, who are you trying to please in your waking hours? Second question, what insecurities are you pampering What insecurities are you pampering? What are you protecting? What are you fueling? What are you trying to put all your concentration on? We all have insecurities. Don't pretend like you don't. We all have insecurities that we battle with. And so how are you doing with them? Are you pampering them? Are you asking God for victory over them? Are you finding your confidence in the Lord? Number three, with whom or what are you competing If you're a social media addict, there's a lot of competition in your life because a lot of people have perfect lives on Instagram and on Facebook. And you're like, if I could just get my kids to do that, or if I could look like that, or if we could go there, or if I had that, and all of a sudden we find ourselves competing with materialistic things. Number four, evaluating your spiritual health What rewards are you seeking? What rewards? Praise of man, pats on the back, you know, recognition at your workplace, praise from the pulpit. What is it that you are looking for? What are you, look, what rewards are you seeking? Or are you taking Colossians 3 approach, which says you're going to set your affection on things above, and that's where your investment is. That's every bit of who you are is invested in making and investing in rewards in heaven. Number five, diagnosing your spiritual health. What shame are you covering? What shame are you covering? If we're living a daily life of covering one shame after another and not willing to deal with it and confront it, we are spiritually anemic and far from exercising the truth in our life. Now, the evidence of Gaius' spiritual well-being, which had caused great joy to John, it is brought to him, the information has been brought to John by certain travelers or brothers. And that's why number two, we see in verse number three and four, that this being a helper of the truth requires a godly testimony. It requires a godly testimony. Um, have you ever been in a situation where somebody says, oh, you go to Parkway Baptist, do you know so-and-so? And all of a sudden you're like, Mm, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do know them. There are times where you kind of cringe a little bit. But then there are other times they're like, oh, you go to Parkway Baptist, do you know so-and-so? Yeah, I do. Man, I sure do. You see the difference? There are some people who have greater impacts because of their spiritual healthiness And there are other peoples who have such great negative impacts because they're spiritually anemic. If we're going to be helpers of the truth, it requires a godly testimony, not in an inner circle, but demonstrated to all men. So John had heard from many of the travelers who had stayed with Gaius of how he had positively impacted their lives. Now, would everyone that you interacted with this past week respond in that same way? Think back since last Monday who you've interacted with. Last Sunday was, um, was last Sunday Father's Day? Yeah, so we had Father's Day, and you had the afternoon with family, and then you had Monday morning, started off your new week. So you think, in the last week, has everyone you interacted with concluded that you were a Christian? How about your responses? How about in your frustrations, in your stresses? in what you put attention to, in your entertainment, in your decisions that you made, how you conversed, how you handled things? Would people be able to look at you and say, there's someone that makes a difference? Gaius was no doubt a balanced Christian. You see, the two areas that he had been reported about are recorded here in these verses. He was faithful to the truth. Look at verse number three. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came, the travelers came, they have reported to me, the ones that have stayed in your house, and they testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. So he was faithful to the truth. And then he also loved people. Skip down to verse number six. John says in his thank you note, Gaius, you have borne witness, or they have borne witness, Of thy charity before the church. This doesn't mean that he was the top giver in the church. This doesn't mean that he was involved in all of the local charities. This means that he demonstrated a love for people in front of the church as an example to the church, a man who loved people. And since testimony can be only produced by what has been seen, we all understand that, right? When we think of godly testimony, testimony is only by what has been seen, not by what has been heard, so or what has been told to you, passed down. So if I take witness on the witness stand, and I'm going to bear testimony, it is what I saw, what I experienced, with my own two eyes, what I took in. And so this testimony is going to be one that is produced by what is seen. It was very clear that Gaius was a very transparent man. He was an open Christian who was letting his light so shine before men, and he was not hiding it. He was making an impact. His truth and love were known to all. Verse number five, even to the strangers. He says, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. They could see his genuine compassion and bear witness to it. Sometimes we may respond to this godly testimony and say, You know, my overall goal is to be a godly testimony, an example. I want to demonstrate. I want people to see clearly through my life. I want them to see that God's grace is sufficient and that Jesus is my all in all. And Sometimes we say that it's a little too difficult to keep a godly testimony when we face turmoil and difficulties in our lives. And this is not to belittle the turmoil that we face. Some of you this week faced some really encouraging good news from the doctor. Some of you this week heard some really bad and negative results from the doctor. So there's variety of news that has been heard. There's a lot of different places in life that all of us are trying to digest at this moment. We're sitting here for about 35-40 minutes collectively together hearing the word of God. But then we're going to go out these doors and we're going to go about our normal lives. And the truth is, is we're all trying to digest turmoil and difficulties that we have to face. Let's never forget that God entrusts us with those, and they are designed to bring glory to God. And so whatever it is that you're facing, it is not as if God is, has this uh, attack on you, and he's just shooting missile after missile after missile, and you're like, God, I, I just avoided this missile. You got another one coming at me, or I just got nailed by two missiles. Here's a third one. That's not how God functions or works. He entrusts you with this journey that you are on right now. And how you will respond to that is going to either bring glory to God and a godly testimony to others, or it will bring reproof to the name of God. It'll either bring great shame to his name. So this week I came across this quote, it's unknown, you, you might be able to find the author of it. It said, what God is bringing you through at this very moment is going to be the testimony that will bring someone else through. No test, no testimony. That's an interesting thought. Man, I wish I could come up with stuff like that. (laughs) Quoted by Peter Grant, all right? (laughs) Now let's look at verse number four to help see this importance of a godly testimony and how it relates to others of the followers of Christ. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now for many of us, this is a favorite verse of ours. Uh, maybe uh, parents, seasoned parents, love to use this verse that it does encourage and bring great joy to you when you hear that your children are faithful to the truth. They're walking in truth. They are solid. Uh, They are striving to be pleasing to God. I know my chiropractor, Dr. Sly, this is one of his favorite verses for that reason. But as we study this, we understand how John, in his letters, calls himself the elder. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John calls himself the elder, and the church, the Christians, which he is writing to, he always either calls them children, little children, or here his children. And this is not a pride issue with John. He was probably in his elder years. He's invested a lot of time and and spiritual emphasis into people's lives, and so he addresses them as his dear children. And so when he comes to verse number four, he is saying, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, the church, the people that I have invested in, they're continuing to walk in truth. And he, when he heard and saw that these believers were still walking in the truth, it brought great joy and rejoicing to his heart. It's like a coach seeing his team execute the plays that they've gone through. And he stands there so excited and proud of how it has been executed. It's the parent that begins to see their children form the habits that they have talked about so often. Say please, say thank you, yes ma'am, no sir. Uh, Be polite, Uh, make sure that you do this and all of a sudden you see your children pick it up and do it and a parent sits there and so proud at that moment. It's the manager experiencing the employees that are accomplishing the vision and the goals that have been discussed. That's what it's like, John says, it brings great joy to my heart to see that my children are walking, continuing, In this way of truth. Now, what's important though about this is that this walking in truth is not a one time execution, but rather a continual habitual act. The word walking in the participle sense there is a a continual term, it's a a word of, of, of continuance. So it's saying it's a habitual act of continuing to walk in truth. We have proud moments where we say, wow, they accomplished that. That was great. But an even greater moment when we see that has become a habit that is put into action that is continuing over and over and over again. It becomes second nature to them. So the godly testimony should not become something that as I wake up each day, today I will set out to have a godly testimony. No, it is a habit of your life As a follower of Jesus Christ, it's become a habitual act of continuance of living a godly life so that others are impacted by your testimony. And remember that word testimony, it is that thought of demonstration. It is the demonstration of habitually walking in truth to others. The last part in verses 5 through 8, if we're going to be a helper of the truth, It requires a generous heart. It requires a generous heart. In a very practical sense, Gaius was assisting those who were ministering the word. Whether they were missionaries or teachers or Christians that were on a journey, the roads that had been put into place, the gospel was being spread, and people were looking for places to stay, and Gaius was one of those homes. We have no reason to believe that Gaius was a a pastor, a preacher, or a teacher but just a faithful man in the church. And because of that, he was able to use his resources to be a blessing to others. As you dissect this verse, Gaius not only opened his home, but he also opened his heart and his hand to give financially and substantially to his guests. John writes this in the verse, he says, "...bring forward on their journey." And that literally means to assist them on their journey. He says, when the, chi- when the opportunity comes, make sure that you assist them on their journey. This could have included money. Uh, this could have included some resources, a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich packed up in the sack, headed out in the day. How many would say, if that's the sack I got from Gaius, I would shout hallelujah, peanut butter and jelly. Anybody with me? Oh yeah, okay, all right. Stomach starting to growl, right? Peanut butter and jelly. How about grilled cheese? That's always a good one. Grilled cheese, yeah. Fried bologna, who's with me, fried bologna? Yeah. All right. Let's be dismissed. All right. (laughs) I am hungry. It not only could have been food, but there probably was time where Gaius would have washed clothes, maybe mended some of the clothes. The travelers have come in. This is true spirit of hospitality that he's learned from John and others. And so he's welcoming them, sending them off on their journey, provided. And you know what that's about? That's where our faith is proved by our works, James chapter 2. It's just not speaking it, it's putting it into action. It's our faith in action. And then it's also that our love must be expressed by deeds, not just words. Many of you in here love to hear the three magical words said to you, I love you. But we also dearly want to see the action, I love you, put into practice. We don't want somebody to say, I love you, as they slug us across the face. So that's not the kind of love I'd like to see today. Uh, People, we don't want to see, I love you. We we don't really ask the tax collectors if they love us. Oh, I love you. Give me your tax money. Uh, No, we want acts of love that are genuine. Uh, Husbands, wives, hey, teenagers, it's okay to express your love, not by just a quick, I love you, but putting it into action. That could be a variety of ways. You could list 10 things today or tomorrow that you could do that put your love into action. That's what Gaius was doing. Not only was his faith in action, but his love was in action. And so this motivation to have a generous heart to God's messengers is seen here in these verses. So let's ask ourselves these same questions. What is the motivation that I have in order to have a generous heart to God's messengers? By the way, the church... We encounter God's messengers on quite a regular basis. Sometimes they come in the form of a guest speaker. And sometimes they come and they speak, they deliver the word of God, and they interact with our church family. They are a traveling messenger that we as Parkway have the privilege and opportunity to be a generous heart and blessing to them. I've heard the horror stories of guest speakers coming through a local church preaching and as they leave that night, they get nothing to fill their tank of gas or a love offering for their time and investment in that ministry. Now, the messenger is not there for the money, but he's there for our blessing and we have the privilege to invest in them. John's writing it very clearly here to Gaius. It happened in the first century. It's happening again today. They come in the form of a missionary. A missionary family comes in and we think, I wish those missionary kids wouldn't run up and down the aisle. I wish they wouldn't throw the prayer cards all up in the air. I wish those missionary kids were more in control. And I'm just speaking of Tyler and Tori Carney, really, it's all. (laughs) You need to tell them that. Um, But no, we get to all that and we think, man, what a, what, a, what a burden to have another missionary family in. We've got to watch some slideshow. We've got to hear their heart and passion. And all of these things, they become an inconvenience to our heart. I'll never forget, was it Ronnie Autry just this past time? Talked about his last church or one of the churches he was in years ago as a missionary. Walked into the men's room and as he was in the stall, heard two voices complaining, another missionary here tonight. We've got to hear another boring presentation and hear how he needs support to go to his country. And then he walked out and met the man, I'm the missionary for tonight. A little awkward moment, but you know what? That should never be the heart of God's church or God's people. He says here, what are the motivations? It's to be honoring to God. He says it after a godly sort, it means worthy of God as befitting to God. So as we give for a love offering, as we give to a guest speaker, as we invest in worldwide missions, we are doing that as honoring to God out of the generosity of our heart. Someone has said this, we are never more godlike than when we are sacrificing to serve others. And then there's the example to the lost. He says, taking nothing. These travelers have to take nothing to, of, of the Gentiles. What is he saying? That the messengers of God would not have to go out and solicit the unsaved for financial support, hospitality, or any aid from them. If a missionary travels through here and he gains nothing from Parkway to help him to move closer to his God given calling, we have missed God's blessing and God's mark. We are not to send them out hoping that they can get some side job to find some resources among the Gentiles or as among the unsaved. And so here is an example to the lost. And then he says, we therefore ought to receive such. Ought. Here gives us this obedience to God. And so a motivation to have a generous heart to the messengers of God is, is obedience. We therefore ought to receive such. This ministry of hospitality and support is not only an opportunity, but also an obligation. It's an obligation. And then last motivation, as we see in verse number eight, that we might be the fellow helpers to the truth. When we say that we are partners with these missionaries and partners with these traveling speakers, we are fellow helpers of the truth. At Parkway, we can do our best to impact a community, but financially and prayerfully, we invest in sending others to go where we cannot go. Now, it doesn't always mean financially. Sometimes it means when a missionary comes, there's something that's your niche that you want to do to be a a blessing to them. Maybe it's a a gift card for gas, or, or maybe it's something for the kids. Maybe it's something to be of a blessing to the wife. Maybe it's trying to find out if you could host the missionary to your house or take them out for lunch or take them out for dinner or the guest speaker that comes through. Maybe there's something that you can do to be of a generous heart. At Parkway, I think we all rally together in knowing that we are going to continue to be generous to our missionaries, traveling speakers, and those who have the privilege to rub shoulders with us as ministers of the word. Now, in the long history of con artists, there was a man named George C. Parker, and he holds a special place of dishonor. He is remembered as one of the most successful and daring swindlers in American history. He set up an office in New York City, and he sold some of the city's most famous attractions to tourists. His favorites were the Brooklyn Bridge, as well as he sold the Statute of Liberty. He sold Madison Square Garden and Grant's Tomb. He produced elaborately forged documents and deeds to convince his targets that he was the rightful owner of the landmarks that he was selling. Parker was so persuasive that on more than one occasion, more than one occasion, police had to come and explain why the new owners of the Brooklyn Bridge couldn't put up toll booths to collect money from those who tried to cross it. After his third conviction of fraud... Parker was sentenced to life at Sing Sing Prison in New York, where he spent the last eight years of his life. He dishonestly made a fortune, preying on people who foolishly believed his empty words. He not only was an expert salesman, but he realized and told of many people who were gullible, and he could use that to his advantage. You know, God expects us as Christians to be careful and prudent with the resources that he entrusts us with. Of course, this applies so much further than just financial matters. Prudence and wisdom also keep us from failing to the lies of of temptation and, and the things which try to grab a hold of our heart and sway us away from what is true. We live in a day where truth has been watered down And the name of Jesus Christ has been twisted. And they are using every means to throw it in front of our face. We live in a city where the name of Jesus Christ is elevated, yes. But the doctrines of the scriptures have been skewed. There are churches within our own city who we could not say line up doctrinally with where we stand. Not as a Baptist. I'm saying as the foundations of truth of the scriptures. And when they sway away from eternal security, and when they talk about that Jesus is not our only way and means to eternal life in heaven, then something is trying to be a trickery to us. So let us be aware of the con artists that are around us. We must rally together to be helpers of the truth and take that truth to everyone that God brings our way. If In order to be that helper, we see what Gaius was, and the formula is laid right out for us. Requires spiritual healthiness, requires a godly testimony, and requires a generous heart. Where are you today? A helper or a hindrance to the truth?